Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41, starting from verse 21. Uh, today is our second week of our Advent series. And the theme for this year is, is waiting for hope that's come. We're waiting for hope that's come. Uh, the birth of Jesus was the birth of, of hope into the world. And like a seed that grows into a tree, the hope Jesus brought at Christmas was meant to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and this hope is, is so big that it's actually not done growing yet. We're still waiting for it to be fully grown. And there are many aspects to the hope that Jesus brings. Isaiah, in the Bible, contains many prophecies about Jesus, uh, some that have been fulfilled, some that are still being fulfilled, and others that have not been fulfilled at all yet. And, and you know, here are just a few of them to visualize, uh, just a few, a few of them, because there's so many, so many in Isaiah, but, but they all sort of fall around four categories, his birth, his ministry, the future, and, and, and his death. And we'll be looking at some of these throughout our time uh, in, in December and the coming weeks. Uh, this week, we're going to look at, at chapter 41, verses 21. So again, I, I invite you just just follow along in, in your Bible, or in our Bible as you read, Isaiah 41, 21. This is God's word. Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Tell us, you idols, what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so we may know that you are gods. Do something, whether good or bad, so that we will be dismayed and filled with fear. But you are less than nothing and your works are utterly worthless. Whoever chooses you is detestable. I have stirred up from one from the north and he comes, one from the rising sun who calls on my name. He treads on rulers as if they were mortar, as if he were a potter treading the clay. Who told of this from the beginning so we could know, or beforehand so that we can say he was right? No one told of this. No one foretold it. No one heard any words from you. I was the first to tell Zion, look, here they are. I gave to Jerusalem a messenger of good news. I look, but there is no one, no one among the gods to give counsel, no one to give answer when I ask them. See, they are all false. Their deeds amount to nothing. Their images are but wind and confusion. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice on the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smothering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. 
Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the ends of the earth, you who go, go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them. So, so the main point for this morning is this. Rejoice, hope for justice is certain in Jesus' quiet, gentle, tireless work. Rejoice, hope for justice is certain in Jesus' quiet, gentle, tireless work. The key word in this passage that we just read is, is justice. Isaiah is prophesying about a servant who will bring justice to the nations, who will do it faithfully until the whole world is established in justice. And this prophecy is given in response to the Israelites who, who are doubting God. They're asking questions like, can I really trust you, God, to bring justice? Should I, why should I trust the God of my ancestors for justice? What can this God do? Because the Israelites, during this time, they, they were facing injustice. They faced oppression and inequality, living as foreigners away from their country. And they were looking for justice. Uh, injustice was a day-to-day -day reality for them. They were looking for somebody to give back the land that was stolen from them. But they were looking for it in all the wrong places. They were trusting in other people and other gods for justice. So in, in the first part of this passage, in verse 21, God speaks, and he starts by challenging these false sources of justice that the Israelites were trusting in. You know, God says, present your case. You know, set forth your arguments. You know, tell us, you idols, what's going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. In, in other words, God is saying, how can you be certain that these other gods, these other things are going to bring you justice? What, what assurance can they give you for the future? They're powerless to predict or control the future. And then God responds in this passage by, by giving his own, his own challenge. He, he gives the Israelites a prophecy about what he is going to do to grant them justice. First, in, in verse 25, God is going to, to stir up someone from the north. God is going to ca cause somebody, cause a king from the north to, to come and, and conquer all of the other rulers of that time, including the nation of Babylon that was currently oppressing the Israelites. And we know from you know, just history that this king was Cyrus. In the second part of this passage, 42 verses 1 to 7, God also says, part 2, I'm going to raise up a servant, a servant who's going to bring justice to the whole world. And in the last section of this passage, God, God, God concludes with this. He concludes by, 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 by asking the Israelites to test him. Right? See, see the former things have taken place. The new things I declare, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. God is basically saying, I just predicted what's going to happen. This is how you're going to know that I alone am God and that I can bring you justice. You're going to see all these things taking place. And the only response that we can have as God's people is, is to sing to the Lord. To worship and praise God for who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. 
God wants us to rejoice because hope for justice is certain in Jesus' quiet, gentle, tireless work. The, the, the word justice is, is a hot topic in the world today. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions when it comes to justice. Like, like, what's the best way to establish justice with all the corruption in the world? How can we make this world a more fair or, or just place? Uh, justice is also a very controversial topic in the world today. You know, everyone has their own version of justice. Uh, each country has their system of justice. You know, different groups of people within different countries have their own view of what justice means. And it's very difficult to separate uh, justice from, from politics. Uh, because any pursuit of justice means implementation of what is believed to be right and fair to treat people in society. There's always an implementation of that, and that happens very in, 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 our, in our laws. Uh, justice is also a very complex issue. It, it's more than just the, the verdict that's given in a courtroom. It's also the, an understanding of how a good society should be ordered. You guys know about this case? Okay. <clears throat> Do a case in another country. Hopefully it's not as controversial. But let me just summarize the case. Or the Rittenhouse case. Uh, it's been on the news and Western media for, for weeks. And the final court verdict was that this, this young man, Kyle Rittenhouse, was innocent of first-degree murder because he acted in self-defense. That, that's the verdict the court gave. Um, now, now, to some, this was a just verdict. You know, Kyle's action was one of a citizen acting within his right to take up arms to protect uh, businesses from looters and, and rioters. But to others, this was not justice. You know, Kyle was acting as a, a vigilante. You know, it's, it's sending the, the unacceptable message that armed civilians can show up in any town, incite violence, and then use the danger they have created to justify shooting people in the street. End quote from CNN. Uh, the point here isn't for us to give our own personal judgment on the case. What I want to point out is this, that the reasons behind these divided views of justice is a different understanding of what is good and right for an American citizen in an American society. That's one of the issues behind this divided opinions. See, justice is more than action and practice. Behind justice is truth, truth of what is right and good and its correct implementation. When it comes to justice, before we can think about how to make this world a more just place, we need to think about where you can find justice or who we can trust to give justice to us, who we can trust to tell us the truth about what is right and good. And the passage today is God's answer. God's answer to this questions of justice. He tells us that we can trust him for justice. He tells us his plan to bring about justice. He tells us who we can find true justice from. And the answers to these questions ultimately point us to Jesus. Jesus assures that God's justice is trustworthy. Jesus works justice in, in quiet humility. Jesus works justice in gentle compassion. Jesus works tirelessly until justice is established. 
So we're going to think about each of these points in, in more detail, starting with the fact that Jesus assures us that God's justice is trustworthy. Right. How do we know that God can bring about justice? How can we know that God's justice is, is good and true? In chapter 42, verse 9, God calls the Israelites to ponder the events of the world that has passed and to take note of the events that have been prophesied. Uh, the book of Isaiah is one of the longest books in the Bible, 66 chapters. It's also one of the most debated books when it comes to determining when it was written and who wrote it. And the reason why is because Isaiah prophesies about events that happen much after his time. He not only prophesies about the exile of the Israelites to Babylon, he also prophesies that King Cyrus would be the one to bring the Israelites back to Jerusalem. And Isaiah's far-reaching prophecies gave Israelites of each generation a roadmap for God's plan, God's development for them as his people. The Israelites were, were God's historical fact-checkers who verified that what God said would happen did happen. So the Israelites could look at the former things. That's what this verse is talking about. He could look at the former things, all the things that has happened in history, and, and be like, wow, God, you really did say and do what you said you would do. They could see these recordings in ancient scrolls copied down from generation to generation, passed down by their ancestors. And, and as they did, they would gain assurance that God would fulfill the other prophecies in this book of Isaiah about a servant who would bring justice not only to them, but to the world. But Isaiah's prophecies don't just cover events a couple of centuries after Isaiah's time. His prophecies span across several centuries into Jesus' time and beyond. The coming of Jesus fulfills the prophecy about the servant who's going to bring justice. And the author of Matthew, in the book of Matthew, <laughs> Who, who, who lived with Jesus as one of his disciples, saw all the ways that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy, and he wrote about this. In Matthew 12, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. See, Jesus was the fulfillment of his prophecy. He was baptized in the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove, and God the Father said from a voice in heaven, this is my son, whom I am well pleased, whom I delight with, I'm delighted in. And when Jesus was on earth, he revealed God's ways of justice in his teaching. You know, to love your neighbor as yourself, to forgive your enemies as God has forgiven you. Jesus corrected values in his society that were not aligned with God's justice. In Matthew 5 to 7, he says, harboring lust in your heart to God is just as unjust as committing adultery. Hatred and anger towards somebody in your heart is just as unjust to God as murder. And not only did Jesus teach God's justice, he, he demonstrated it. Jesus came to bring forth justice. He restored people to live according to God's good and right standards for society by, by healing them. He gave back worth and dignity to people created in God's image by calling social outcasts like 
fishermen and tax collectors to be his disciples. Jesus offended and shocked many by not allowing the value system, the twisted justice systems of the world, to determine how he treated others. He treated all people, educated or not, Jewish or Gentile, rich or poor, religious or not, as those created in God's image. He created a community of worshipers where greatness and power is demonstrated in service and sacrifice for each other. Jesus assures humanity that we can trust God to bring about justice. God is the master of the universe. Nothing is impossible for him. He is faithful to do what he says. We can see this throughout history in fulfilling his prophecies to the people of Israel and ultimately in how he brings about his servant of justice in the person of Jesus. But Isaiah's prophecies about Jesus didn't just stop 2,000 years ago. They are still being fulfilled in our time, and they are still yet to be fulfilled. Verse 4 says, In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. The islands in ancient times was a word used to describe the farthest reaches of the world. Jesus' time on earth was limited to the geographic area of Jerusalem. The people he taught were, were all Jewish. He lived in a desert country far away from any islands. But all over the world today, there are people who put their hope in the teaching of Jesus. Farthest ends of the world. The very existence of, of EEC as a church here in Hong Kong is evidence of Isaiah's prophecy being in the midst of fulfillment. Jesus assures us that God will bring justice to the world. But not only that, Jesus shows us what God's perfect justice looks like. God's justice is good. His laws are good. His implementation of justice is good. Jesus' life and teaching demonstrates what justice in God's kingdom will look like. Who will you trust for justice? Where will you go to find justice? It's, it's no secret that many Hong Kongers are, are leaving the city. And, and one, one of the motivating reasons has to do with justice. You know, people are looking to move to a country they believe is more just. God's word today tells us that there is only one person who, can trust, who we can trust for justice. There's only one place where true justice can be found. Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Trust in any other person or place will ultimately let us down in our search for justice. The next question this passage answers is, is how. Right? We, we, we can trust God for justice, but, but how? How is God going to bring justice to this world? Th this is what the next two points are about. First, Jesus works justice in quiet humility. 42.2 tells us how Jesus will bring about justice by telling us how he's not going to do it. No, he will not cry out or lift up his voice or make it heard on the street. The, the idea of shouting or crying here is meant to give us a picture of a warrior crying out in battle. It tells us that Jesus' work of justice will not come through aggressive domination or force. He won't make himself heard on the street. Uh, Jesus' strategy for justice is not to gain power through influence and fame. 
Jesus told those that he healed not to tell anybody else about it. And this was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said. Jesus never sought to become a public figure to influence people. He, he purposely kept himself hidden, and, th and this confused those around him. In, in John 8, his brothers, or John 7, his brothers would be like, nobody who wants to become a public figure makes himself hidden. And Jesus was like, yeah, like, yeah I don't want to become a public figure. He kept himself hidden on purpose. Jesus never used force to rebuke his disciples, and he rebuked his, his, his disciples for using force. You know, when, when James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven, Jesus rebuked them. When Peter wanted to slash somebody's ear, Jesus rebuked them. And even when Jesus was falsely condemned and put on trial, he took no action to defend himself. Jesus works in quiet humility. You know, the whole circumstance around Jesus' birth is an indication of how Jesus' mission for justice was to be executed. His birth was intentionally made obscure and hidden. When Jesus was born, almost no, nobody knew except his parents, uh, some animals like the donkeys, uh, the cattle. The only people who were explicitly told were those who had no social status or rights in Jewish society. Uh, there were the shepherds, they were regarded as unclean outcasts, and there were foreign wise men who were thought of as unworthy outsiders. But these two groups of people were given a supreme royal invitation to celebrate Jesus' birth. You know, God sent a whole host of angels to personally announce to the shepherds of Jesus' coming. He put a star in the sky that personally led the wise men across a vast distance to where Jesus was. And it's in this quiet, hidden, unknown birth that the work of justice started. Those who had no rights and value in Jewish society, they were restored. They were given right and worth according to God's justice. Because in God's kingdom, all are equal and welcome to worship before the King of Kings. Jesus' whole ministry on earth was, was actually very unpopular in the bigger picture of things, very not known. Yes, there were many people who came to him, but his ministry was kept to a small portion of a tiny province in a vast Roman Empire. Those who came to Jesus were people from a very specific race and culture who had very specific religious beliefs, and even then, Jesus was not popular with all of them. Jesus' ministry on earth, work on earth, ended with 120 people who were willing to continue to follow his teaching. You know, in the eyes of the world, Jesus is nothing. He, he is a failed influencer, a failed YouTuber. He has like less than 10 followers and less than 100 views. Jesus works justice in quiet humility. Jesus also works justice in gentle compassion. Verse 3, a, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smothering wick he will not snuff out. You know, here, you know, everyday examples are supposed to be everyday examples are, are given to explain how this servant will carry out justice. Uh, a reed was a type of plant whose stalk, who, whose stem, would be used for everyday things like, like a measuring rod or, or a pen. Um, we're probably more familiar with the idea of a, of a smothering wick, talking about a candle that's almost burnt out. But in ancient times, what was used for the wick um, would actually cause a lot of smoke to fill your house, so you want to replace it right away. 
And, and the point is this. The point is both a bruised reed and a smothering wick are, are broken and useless for what they were meant to do. The natural thing to do would have been to just throw them out and replace them. But this is the opposite of how Jesus works and who he is. Jesus' response to people who are broken, who are guilty of injustice, incapable of doing justice, isn't to, isn't to throw them out. Jesus' response is one of compassion. He comes alongside them to, to restore them, restore them to justice, to restore them to be the people they were created to be. Jesus' approach to justice is to say to a woman caught in adultery, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. To Jesus, the just servant, no person is too unworthy or too damaged to be restored to justice. Jesus' heart is to patiently and gently heal unworthy people to live justly. His work of justice is like a, sort of like a, a spiritual physio, physiotherapist, that's sort of a contradiction, but like a physiotherapist for the human heart who works slowly with people, you know, week after week, year after year, until they're you know, fully restored through, through all of those failed attempts, all those times we stumbled. That's his heart. That's how he works justice. You know, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus works justice and quiet humility. Jesus works justice and gentle compassion. Uh, th there are many justice movements in the world today. Many justice movements. So there are numerous organizations and, and groups devoted to different causes in the name of justice. You know, women's rights, global warming, racial inequality, uh, refugee crisis around the world, food inequality, the list goes on and on and on and on. Uh, and I personally think that these, mov these movements are a good thing because it shows humanity that we know that there are things that are wrong in the world, there are injustices in the world, and they need to be fixed somehow. But with all of these problems of injustice, you know, sooner or later, questions always get turned back to God, like, God, why aren't you doing anything about all this injustice? And God's answer is always Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing it through Jesus, but the way he approaches it is so much different than how the world approaches it that they miss what he's doing. You know, many justice movements around the world, are, they're very loud, they're assertive, they're forceful, they're accusatory, at, at times they're self-righteous. The world's response to, to injustice, the, the solution to justice is to get rid of all those people and guilty of it and to only leave the ones who do the right thing. It's to force and threaten, manipulate people to conform to their standard of justice. But God's approach isn't to threaten and manipulate or to gain a lot of media attention to, to peer pressure people to conform. God creates a just world out of love. God's approach to justice is truly just because he does not violate treatment of individuals to bring society to justice. He makes sure that each person is honorably treated as those created in his image. And he reaches out person by person. He invites them to be transformed from the inside out. God's ways of justice is to quietly, humbly teach people what true justice is. Call them to stop injustice in their life and to restore them to live justly.
you know, often when the world thinks of God and they think of the word justice, the next word they think of is judgment. And it's true that part of God's judgment, justice, is to ultimately judge. But judgment is not God's primary plan for justice. Judgment is his, his plan, like Z, his plan Z. It's, judgment only happens when God has done everything out of his infinite power and love to restore people to justice. God's primary plan, God's plan A for justice is his servant, Jesus Christ, to take on all of the injustice of the world upon himself to the point of being falsely condemned so that humanity might not be thrown away in judgment like a bruised reed, but restored by God's love and grace. So the question all of us need to consider this morning is, who are you going to trust for justice? Are you going to trust in yourself? Are you going to trust in another country or organization? Are you going to trust in God? The truth is, people do not have the ability to bring justice in the world. The only solution is to humbly trust in Jesus. And this is really good news that we should be celebrating all the time because God has promised that Jesus works tirelessly until justice is established. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. Uh, years ago, uh, I was part of a, a Christian justice movement on, on university campuses to raise awareness and, and talk about resolving the issue of, of human, human sex trafficking around the world. So we would, we, we would organize uh, huge events and, and try to fill a lecture halls with students to, to address this issue uh, by holding talks and, and showing documentaries, uh, such as this one. Uh, called Nefarious. Um, it talks about all of the injustices in, in the sex trafficking industry around the world. And I think it does a great job in practically addressing the issues and also showing how really beneath that is a spiritual issue that God is at work in fixing and restoring. So I would uh, you know, personally just say that this is something good to look into if you haven't uh, looked into it. Um, now, I was pretty passionate and committed to this issue, uh, but there were other leaders who were far more committed to, to the cause than I was. So there was one sister in Christ in particular. She was, she was working on another university campus, um, and it was clear that she surpassed everybody else in, in her passion about this issue. She put in 10 times more effort than anyone else I knew. And, and it got to the point where it was just unhealthy not sleeping much, a lot of worry and burden. Like the more you look into like all the injustice, the more it really weighs on your, your heart and your emotions. And, and, and being on the, on the verge of like a breakdown, it was in that moment where that God used to, to really show her something. You know, she realized, you know, I was trying to take on the burden that only Jesus can take on. I'm striving to resolve something that only Jesus can resolve. You know, Jesus will not grow faint and discouraged till he's established justice on the earth. A and the words faint and discouraged are actually the same word as bruised and smothering, smothered in this passage. And, and, and the point is that Jesus 
does not break under the things that break human beings. He's not crushed. He's not bruised. He will never falter or be discouraged. His power is limitless. He's tirelessly working 24-7 until justice is established. You know, the birth of Jesus at Christmas was just the start of justice. And during his physical ministry on earth, Jesus quietly and humbly worked out justice on the earth. He, he called Zacchaeus, a, a core perpetrator of injustice in his society, to repentance. You know, Zacchaeus was a government tax collector who used his money to, who used his power to steal money from others. But after he met Jesus, Zacchaeus gave back four times the amount of money to those he took from. And on top of that, he gave away half of his possessions to the poor. You know, Jesus not only reversed the injustice that Zacchaeus caused, he also turned Zacchaeus to be somebody who works for justice according to God's standard. But Jesus' work didn't stop there. It didn't stop after he died and resurrected and ascended into heaven. Now, Isaiah's prophecy from, from thousands of years ago is still in the process of being completed. Jesus is still working humbly and gently, and he's going to keep going until justice is established in the world. He's at work through his spirit. He's at work through his church, and believers are called to be a part of his work of justice. You know, we, we do this by calling sinners to conform to God's standard of justice. We do this by serving people. And what that means is like a whole other sermon. But the most important thing before we try to do anything, to do anything is, is to realize that justice isn't in our hands. It's in Jesus' hands. And to realize and to, and to believe and to hope that justice isn't failing in the world. It's being tirelessly moved forward by the one who does not grow faint or discouraged. We don't need to create justice. We need to embrace the justice that Jesus has brought. We need to rejoice because hope for justice is certain in Jesus' quiet, gentle, tireless work. You know, as we bring this celebration of Christmas to others, as we try to you know, bring God's love and justice to different communities around us, like the refugee community this Christmas, let's celebrate and let's remember that it's not us who's bringing justice it's jesus let's pray together uh, father in heaven thank you for sending jesus lord jesus you are you are so amazing you are the lord of the universe you are the the servant who never gets tired you've took you've taken on the sin and injustice in the world and you continue to work tirelessly for justice in the world. Help us to trust you, Lord. Help us to see all of the work you've done, Lord, to bring justice. And help us to look forward to greater things because you have come. Hope has come. Lord, I just pray that this Christmas we can have a greater celebration in our hearts because we know that your justice is coming day by day. In your name we pray. Amen.